Okay, take your Bibles and turn back with me this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I say so much, talk with so many people, I don't even remember who I've talked to and what I've said to anybody anymore. I thought I'd told Pam about it, but I didn't. I think I told Kenny and Sandra about it this morning. I, I might have been just Kenny. I, I tell you what, I have never... In 36 years of preaching the gospel, wrestled so much with uh, almost almost went away from it because I just couldn't. I'm going to cover four verses this morning. This is the hardest four verses I've ever tried to write a sermon on in my life. In 36 years of preaching the gospel, and I hope and I pray that that I can convey to you the the thoughts that I get from these passages that I had the opportunity to look at uh, this week. Cause I tell you, I, I've entitled this, this part of this uh, epistle, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this will be verses 1 through 4. I've entitled it simply, simply, Every Believer's Hope. Every Believer's Hope. This will be part one. And it's too many hopes, I guess. <laughs> My hope is that the Lord can comfort all of us in this most gracious faith. Now that's, that's my desire. Every time that I stand up here, every time the Lord gives me another opportunity to preach, I don't want anybody to go away disturbed and anxious and worried. I want God's people comforted. I, I, I see men and women on Facebook and in various forms of social media post things that it seems like they want and they think God's children should be in constant turmoil and trouble just tormented in heart, mind, and soul. I got news for them. I'm, I don't know about you. I'm tormented in heart, mind, and soul every day of my life anyhow. I have to live with me. I have to live with who and what I am. I have to live with my personality. My wife has to live with me. My children have to deal with me. That little girl that I love so much has to deal with me. And my attitude at times and the way that I deal with her. And, I, and it's always been the same all the way back to when my children were young. You know, I have a tendency that I let things go to the point to where I'm like a tea kettle and when it goes off, it, it blows its top. And, I, and instead of dealing like an adult, I have a tendency to react like a child. And after it's all over, said and done, the thought that always comes into my mind is this. I thank my God through Christ Jesus, my Lord. He has never dealt with me one time in that way. He's never popped off and called me things that are hurtful and wrong. Our thought towards, he knows his thoughts toward us. What's his thoughts toward? Thoughts of good and not evil to give you an expected end. That's his thoughts toward us. And so that's what I want to try to convey to you is that I want to comfort. I, like, like Isaiah said, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 11, he said, come to me all ye that labor and heavy laden. I'll give you rest, right? Give you comfort, peace, assurance. I'd have you to think back as we, it's been a, a week or so ago, two weeks ago, that we finished up chapter 4. But if you go back and you read, and that's why I read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
In the previous epistle that Paul wrote to these same believers, this is not a different group, this is the same group of believers. And the weird thing is, this is a second epistle that he writes to them, and they're still dealing with the same problems. There's still those within this group that are questioning and even denying the resurrection. And he had pointed out to them in that previous epistle, under divine inspiration, the significance and the necessity of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ as well as the resurrection of all those whom he represented by his very obedience unto death. We read it a moment ago. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some of you that there's no resurrection of the dead? So there's somebody in this church running around saying there ain't no resurrection. Here's the implications. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, Christ is risen. And if Christ be not risen, then everything I've done to you, our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ. And every gospel preacher and every one of you and all of us included, we would all be guilty the same because we've told men and women, friend, family, and foe what Christ did. He was raised again. <clears throat> Whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is Christ not raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You are yet in your sins. Then they which have fallen asleep in Christ or perish. In, if, in, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Think about that last phrase. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Paul wrote Timothy concerning the importance of this truth concerning the resurrection. He says this, and their words will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred. Now what have they erred concerning? The truth. In what way have they erred, Paul? He writes Timothy, a preacher. Here's where they've erred. Saying that the resurrection is past already. Listen to this little note. And overthrow the faith of some. Oh, hold on now. Wait, you can overthrow somebody's faith? Hold on. I want to be very clear here. That word translated overthrow, it means to subvert or destroy. So somebody's faith, he said that, they, listen to him now. He says, and overthrow, subvert or destroy the faith of some. Now this is so important. True God-given faith. That that we talked about a little bit this morning, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 9, and 10, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself. 
in that true faith. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. True faith, listen to me, it cannot be overthrown by anything. You hear me? Paul says, now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But, so there's some that have given little agreement to the faith. What happens to their faith in time? It can be overthrown. You hear me? We are not of them who draw back under perdition. But of them that believe to the saving of the soul. True faith can't be overthrown. I th you think about this. In Matthew, I think it's Matthew 24 when our Lord Jesus Christ talks about false prophets, that there arise false teachers and false prophets in the last day. He says, makes this statement. In so much teaching thing, in so much that if it were possible, if it were possible, they would deceive the very elect of God. What does that tell you by our Lord's own mouth? A false prophet cannot, it is impossible for a false preacher, for a false teacher to deceive the elect of God. You can't do it. Why? If God says it's impossible, it's impossible, can it? But the professor, one who makes a profession of faith, Theirs can and there will be overthrown. Look over at Matthew chapter 13. Think about these. Our Lord Jesus Christ, as was his custom, and according to his own words, when the apostle asked him, they said, Lord, why do you speak in prophets and, and parables? And he says, for it's given unto you to know the things of the kingdom of God, but to them it's not given. So he, it actually at one point it says he always spoke to the Pharisees, how? In parables. Why? It wasn't given to them to know the, king, the, the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But here in Matthew chapter 13, our Lord is interpreting the parable of the sower and the seed. Look down at verse 18. Matthew 13, verse 18. Hear you therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which is sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. So they can hear it with their physical ear. Can't understand it. Cannot believe it. Verse 20. He that receives seed into the stony places. The same as he that hears the word and anon, that word anon means immediately. Immediately with joy, what do they do? They embrace it. They receive it. Yet, here's a problem. They have not root in himself, but endure it for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by what happens? Go away. They finish. Verse 22. This is the third. 
He also received seed. The seed that they've heard, received seed. That's the gospel message going forward. And they've received the things among the thorns now. Is he that hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. Those three group of folks, the stony ground, the wayside here, the stony ground here, the thorny ground here, that's, that's unregenerate sinners, dead in trespasses and sin who make religious professions and go for a while and by and by they go away. But there's a fourth group, thank God. He that received seed into the good ground. Now here's the thing. There's none good, no, not one, right? Who can say, Solomon said, I have made my heart clean, I am free from sin. How's it going into a good heart? What does he have to do? He has to make the heart good. You go back and you read the parable itself. The one who did the sowing prepared the ground. Go read the rest of the, the parable the way it was originally stated. Receives it in the good ground as he that hears the word and understands it. Because it's implanted in good ground, what does it do? It bears fruit. Bringing forth some hundredfold and some sixty and some thirtyfold. And I know religious people that get hung up with them folds. But the thing is, it's, it's not, not so much what, what they, they do, do, it's what, what they, they are in Christ. They received the word into good ground, made good by God. God. So, so that, that, that unregenerate mind, that, that professor of religion, religion, their faith can be overthrown by the false prophet, by the false teacher. And see this, see this truth concerning the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, it means, it means a whole, a whole lot, lot more than the small emphasis that's put on it by religious men and women once a year when they have the Easter sunrise services. It goes a lot deeper than that. Matter of fact, the belief of this truth and a dogmatic stand on it, you know, it's evidence that one possesses true God-given faith. How do you know that? Because this is the sum and substance of this message. Therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness, who? Abraham. But Abraham believed God, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him who raised up Jesus Christ, our Lord, from the dead. This is how important it is. Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again. Hear me? He was raised again for our justification. I'd have you to carefully ponder and prayerfully consider what I'm about to say to you. If Christ wasn't raised from the dead, and if all those for whom Christ died, are not guaranteed that they'll be raised from the dead. Two things are true. First of all, I, this is awful, but this is the reality. Christ be not faithful. First of all, God's proven to be unfaithful. 
Because he, he promised, promised by the mouth of his servant, King David, David he says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. In other words, Christ's body didn't corrupt and putrefy in the ground like everybody that you put into the and I tell you, it's, it's so, so important. important. I, you, you say, well, David was speaking of himself. No, Paul, Paul, David, Peter clarified that on the day of Pentecost. He stood before those Jews who made their boast to David. And listen, he quotes David. Listen to him, Peter. For David speaketh concerning him, concerning Christ. I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. More also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell neither wilt thou suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. David wasn't speaking of himself personally. Who's he speaking of? He was speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if so God, God said he raised him from the dead, he would not allow his Holy One to seek corruption. If Christ was in the ground rotting somewhere, what did God do? God's unfaithful. He can't do what he said he was doing. But second of all, and I think this is, yeah, I mean, you dishonored the Son, you dishonored the Father. Second of all, Christ has found the liar. Seeing that he stated plainly, you know what? He said, I'll rise again. And he stated that everybody who he died, all who rest in him by God-given faith, what are they going to do one day? They're going to rise again too. Listen to him. Jesus answered and said to him, destroy this temple. And he didn't point it at Solomon's. I guarantee he stood there and he said, destroy this temple. Come by himself. And in three days, now they thought he was thinking about that temple because what they say, it took how many years to do this? You say you're going to do it in three days? We're talking about that. He was talking about the temple of the living God, Christ in us, hope of glory, his own person. And then he said this, and this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which you have given me, I should lose nothing, but listen, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this, and this is the will of repeats it. This is the will of him that sent me. That everyone who seeth the Son, believing on him, may have everlasting life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. That's John chapter 6, verse 39 and 40. But then I got to think about it. I added this into my notes this morning, right before I left the house. Think about what our Lord told Martha. Remember, Lazarus, you know, he stayed away, let Lazarus die on purpose for the glory of God. He comes out, and Arthur goes out to meet him, right? And when she meets him, she basically accuses Christ, said, if you had been here, you wouldn't have died. In other words, you'll fall. Long and short of it, if Christ had spoke while he was three days out, what would have happened? Remember, he, he, prayed, he healed another. Remember, the, and the daddy inquired, found out exactly the time Christ told him, his son's healed, in that exact moment he was healed. Nothing's, Nothing's impossible, impossible for our God. 
And our Lord, Lord loving and patient and kind and compassionate he is to his feeble creatures. He looked at her and he told her when she made such a statement to him, said, Mary Martha said unto Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not die. But I know that even now, whatever you'll ask of God, God will give it to you. Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. That's words of comfort. And I always think about it. Remember, he walked up that tomb. In a few minutes, he's going to walk up to it. What's he going to do? Jesus, Jesus wept over this man. He loved. We know he loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. You know what else he loves? He loves all that he is. Every one of them. Just like he loved them. Martha said unto him, Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. You see, she's not even denying the resurrection. But Christ clarifies it for her. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Well, Lazarus in the graveyard. Dying spiritually. Do you believe in this, Mary? Martha? She said to him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come in the world. And when she had said so, she went her way, called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master has come, calls the Those two things are our God is not unfaithful. And I tell you, our Lord Jesus Christ, it's impossible for him to lie. Right? Well, that's it. Look at our text. Look at verse 1. We know that if our earthly house, what are we talking about? Our physical body, of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, Eternal in the heavens. Everything Paul writes from this verse forward, here in verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, fall is written in light of what he had previously written. In, in every true Christian faith, every true Christian faith, those that believe God's gospel, those who've rested in Christ, is the Lord their righteousness. You know what the control of the factory is? It's the mind. Will, the understanding. And you know what it does? By God's grace, it works its way out in our hearts and in our minds and our understanding. And by these words, Paul tells us that in light of all the suffering that he had talked about, that we're for sure to have the things that we went over for nearly three or four messages there at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, all the suffering physically that we endure, all the, the tearing down of this whole earthly, this, this weak vessel that we live in. We have a better prospect. We have an eternal prospect. What? A better house. <laughs> a, a resurrected body. Made like in his glory. Remember what John said? Beloved, do not know what My mind just don't work the way it used to. 
Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Right now. Yet it doth not appear what we shall be. Can't tell you what what do you think that glorifies body is like? How could I tell you? Uh huh. Other than what the scriptures tell me. What does it tell me? But we, when he shall appear, we'll be like him. We'll see him. That's our promise. That's what our God has told us. And then back, back over 1 Corinthians 15, 15 Paul had dealt with that subject of the resurrection. This body, listen, he says in a moment, everybody, every funeral I've ever been to, they always read this, this passage, almost without exception. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, which will be chained, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? <laughs> We're going to be delivered. Not just delivered. Spiritually, yes, we are now. We possess eternal life. We're going to be delivered body, soul, and spirit. Made like me. Paul, Paul takes it so dead sure. He says, what? For we know. We have confidence. We have assurance. The question that I ask when I see for we know is, how do you know? How do you know? Huh? You ever seen anybody resurrected? I have. But I know they're going to be resurrected. Why? Divine revelation told him so. The same way it tells every one of God's elect in every generation. He says, because, but as it's written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, even the deep things of God. You can't figure this out on your own. This ain't math or English or science. This is a divine revelation of God. All those regenerated, converted by God the Holy Spirit, all those given true faith and true repentance, all of us have this And you listen to it. None of us, none of us, not anybody in this building, not anybody outside this building listen to us is true believer. None of us enjoy what's happening to us physically. Huh? I tell you, getting old is tough. You young people, I know you're young, and your body's fresh, and everything's good, and you ain't lost your hair, and your eyesight ain't gone bad, and you don't have aches and pains, new ones, every single solitary morning of your life. Do something simple, and all of a sudden you got a pain, and you're like, my neck was hurting this week, all I did was sweat. I never, I never remember as a child getting a young, young man, man, a teenager, even a young, young adult, adult getting up 24, 25 years old, getting up with my, my neck hurt because I slept wrong on the pillow. We're getting old. We're, we're not, we're not improved. Not I walk thousands of miles and I'm no better for it. I mean, I might be a little bit better shape, but I'm still, my knees hurt, my back hurts, I get worn out. But he says, we know, we know 
that in spite of everything that's happened to us, not only just related to our physical nature, but even physical death, we don't, I'm not looking forward to dying. No, I'm not. There, there's something in all of us that has an aversion to, to the separation of our body and our soul one from another. That's just natural. Our bodies weren't created to die. And they weren't. But what happened? Sin entered the world. Death by sin. So death passed upon all men and all. It's sin. Why am I dying? Sin. All death is directly related to one another. It's sin. And you know what? You're there to fear death. That's not sinful. No, it's not. It's a natural affinity, infirmity, which comes from our love of life. Our, our, our bodies, when we think about it, this natural discomfort we feel toward. The only way we're lifted above this earthly affliction is what? Heavenly hope. The certainty of being resurrected in a new, spiritually immortal, glorified body that will never suffer and never die. Paul tells us that our earthly house, that is to say this physical body, what's going to happen to it? He says it's going to be dissolved. And he called it a tabernacle, the earthly house of this tabernacle. And I think, I think he called it the tabernacle in relationship to the fact that the tabernacle, what was it? It was temporary. And it could be taken down and moved. You know, for 40 years they moved that sucker everywhere. Took it down, put it up. And when this early tent's taken down, we know, not by experience, but by God's testimony, what have we got? We have a building you know what that does? That expresses the certainty of our actually, the fact that we're actually going to possess a permanent glorified body. And this glorified body, it's spiritual, it's eternal, it's a heavenly body, and it's created by God. And He writes this body, you know where it's at? It's eternal in the heavens. We are all, listen, this is the body we're all members of. We are all members of His body. And this is sort of what human works have absolutely nothing to do with the future resurrection of believers. Nothing. Our final glory, this is not conditioned on our perseverance. It's a God. And it's based on the imputed righteousness of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, without the deeds of the law. So the, so the fact, fact that, that we're, we're secure and certain to enter heaven's glory based on the imputed righteousness of Christ, it's our comfort and it's our encouragement against the pains and sufferings that we go through in this life, as well as the death of our physical bodies, those things that Paul called in chapter 4, our life affliction. Now to us, it's heavy. In reality, in light of what we possess in Christ Jesus, it's life. Look at verse 2. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. This God-given knowledge concerning our eternal house, you know what he calls us to do? To groan. 
And that, that word, word groan, groan it means to sigh or to grieve. grieve. But, but the, the groan or the grieving of the sign here is positive. Because what's it doing? It's looking forward to the fact that we're going to leave behind present suffering. All of it. I can honestly say, and I think you can too, we've all flippantly said that it's, it's reality. I look forward to being free from this body of sin and death. Now, that doesn't mean I want to go today. <laughs> Yeah, I'd, I'd like, like to see, see my, my granddaughter, granddaughter grow up. up. I'd like, I'd like to see, see my, my other son get married and maybe have another grandchild. I want to grow old and spend some time with my wife in retirement where we're not away from each other as much as we've been over the last 25 years. But I tell you, I still look forward to being free. I can't envision what it's going to be like to for the first time love God truly with all my heart, all my mind, perfectly and completely and eternally. Can you envision what it would be like to follow the Lamb wheresoever it would go? We can't even follow him hardly for a moment down here. I guarantee you, if y'all could see the clock back there on the wall, most of your minds would be distracted. Is this guy ever going to shut up? And I tell you, the desire grows in degrees. Grows in degrees of the suffering and the persecution that we endure. The pains and infirmities of this life. Again, there's a, there's a natural aversion to physical death, and it's a guiltless infirmity. And this infirmity is inseparable from this present life. In a sense, we don't look forward to physical death when we grow old. And we like the Apostle Paul suffered for the gospel's sake, especially one like what Paul did who suffered so greatly. Our desire to leave this body and be joined in that resurrected body would have to be gross. Paul wrote this to those in Rome. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children and heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs of Christ, if so be that we suffer with him. See there, what are we going to do? We're going to suffer with him. We may be glorified together, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature, that's the creation itself, was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him that hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature... That's creation in itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know, there's that we know thing again, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together under name. And not only that this whole creation groaneth to be delivered, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit. What are we waiting for? The redemption of the body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why did he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Verse 3. Look at our text, verse 3. He says, If so be 
that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. Now, that's, that's a hard verse to interpret. <laughs> It really is. I, I, I take a, a long part of looking at it. A lot of people, they imply that by these words, Paul experienced some sort of doubt as to whether or not uh, he was really saved or not. But that would be contrary to the Holy Spirit's goal. His goal is to establish your hearts with grace. You understand that, right? The Holy Spirit doesn't work in us to create unbelief or doubt legal fear because unbelief legal fear and doubt what does that do that dishonors God but he said we know according to God's promise revealed in his word that our souls folks they're going to be clothed in a new resurrected body who made that promise God did and what he promised he's able also to perform Right now we're clothed with the imputed righteousness of Christ. And we stand before God holy and accepted in him and make the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. But one day, based on Christ's righteousness and his promise, not only will we be brought into his presence based on that righteousness of Christ, but even our V-I-L-E bodies will be made like unto his glorious body. There's two alternatives that he gives us to believe. One is to experience physical death. Go to be with the Lord and wait for union with our glorified bodies. But the other, the other one is to be alive when our Lord Jesus Christ returns to be glorified in his Son. Behold, I show you mystery. We shall not all sleep. But here's the thing. We all gonna be changed. Every one of us. And see, I think what Paul's stating here, he's simply stating you and me that of the two options, either dying and going to be with the Lord and waiting to be reunited with our glorified bodies, or to be changed in an instant when Christ comes, Paul was hoping, you know what he wanted? He wanted Christ to come and change him for him not to go through that portal of death. And I think that's all we got. Look at verse 4. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened not that we should be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up. Of life. Let me read it to you in Young's literal translation. He said, For we also who are in the tabernacle do groan, being murdered, seeing we wish not to be unclothed. We don't, we don't want to go through the portal of day, but to clothe ourselves. That the mortal may be swallowed up of life. While we're in this body, we groan because we're burdened and we're weighed down by the infirmities of the flesh and by the suffering and persecution that comes because of God. 
And all of us continually experience and continually cry with the Apostle Paul, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, listen, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? It's carried me to the ground. My soul is housed in this vessel of clay. But folks, we don't desire death simply to escape persecution, to escape suffering. And we don't look at death to end of all things. The child of God does. We desire this to leave this physical body because we would be clothed with a glorified body. Our desire, Our desire, listen, is, is the, the actual experience of the blessedness of eternal life and final glorification. Even death, not desire, is to say death. You know what death is? Death, I always think about death. It's that last joy when we're going to pass over. And instead of death being our enemy, our Lord Jesus Christ taking the sting of death, what does he turn death into? Death is our friend. Because, because it delivers, delivers us out of this present evil world with all the uncertainties and difficulties and delivers us into the very presence of God. So Paul and all this, once again, he's stating there's two alternatives. And in those two alternatives, he desired to survive until the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what else he desired? He desired that Christ would come soon. And I wrote this verse and I'll quit with this. Paul's desire is his desire Revelation 22, verse 20 says this, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. What's our response? Even so. Come, Lord Jesus. Why? At one, at one point in time, I don't know if I'll live long enough to see it, but there is going to be a point in time that the last one of God's elect is going to believe. He brought the true faith and true repentance. And when that last elect, the last person God chose in everlasting covenant of grace and gave to the Son, whom he redeemed by his obedience unto death, when the Holy Spirit brings him to true faith and true repentance, you know what's going to happen? Our Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. It might not be for another 150 years or another thousand years. I don't know. We, I, I think other generations before us have always said at some point in time, the end is here. Paul of them thought the end was then. And we're 2,000 years out from then. But with our God, a day is as a thousand, and a thousand is as a day. May the Lord's will be done and not ours. Give us grace, peace, comfort, and security, and trust in this blessed hope that was secured for us by the very righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. Appreciate your presence. Lord bless you. Keep until we see you next Lord. Don, if you would, dismiss us, please.